Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors of both fiction and nonfiction. I'm Lenny Picker of Publishers Weekly, and today I'm speaking with historian Scott Einberger, who's, with distance in his eyes, The Environmental Life and Legacy of Stuart Udall, is being published by University of Nevada Press, the sponsor of today's podcast. Good afternoon, Scott. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Sure. Would you start us off with an excerpt from the book, please? Yes, I'd be delighted. A significant reason for Udall's success as Interior Secretary was because he was exquisitely wrote about and spoke out in support of conservation and environmental objectives. That is, he used his typewriter and his voice more effectively than any other head in the Interior Department in history. Arguably, Udall's best and most influential piece of writing was The Quiet Crisis, a 200-page book published just a couple of months before John F. Kennedy's assassination in 1963. With help from key office staff, as well as Pulitzer Prize-winning author and Stanford University professor Wallace Stegner, the publication was one of the first books to chronologically spotlight the country's environmental history, or, according to Udall, quote, the land and people story of our continent. The book's premise involved Udall's convictions that American progress in space and technology as well as in industrial, commercial, and residential development and expansion, was coming at a tremendous cost to the nation's natural heritage. In the opening pages, he noted that, and I quote, America today stands poised on a pinnacle of wealth and power, yet we live in a land of vanishing beauty, of increasing ugliness, of shrinking open space, and of an overall environment that is diminished daily by pollution and noise and blight. This, in brief, is the quiet conservation crisis of the 1960s. Thanks, Scott. Uh, Unfortunately, it sounds like much of that could have been written today pretty much without anything being changed. Uh, Let's put those excerpts into context for our listeners and sort of like to start, if I may, with uh, Secretary Udall's childhood. You quote him as saying that he and I think maybe his family members as well were natural conservationists from childhood. Could you talk a little bit about how his upbringing played a part in his choice of career? He was born and raised in St. John's, Arizona, eastern rural high desert Arizona. This was a uh, part Mormon farming community, part Mexican-American farming community. Um, People worked the land uh, very much then. Um, He was born in 1920, so was raised in the 20s and 30s, um, Great Depression era, very little electricity, Working the land and gaining sustenance from the land and off the land was um, was really the way of of life back then for many more places than today, but um, especially in this rural corner of of Arizona. And I'm just sort of wondering, as I was reading the book, if he had grown up in another part of the country, say in the Pacific Northwest, the Appalachians, do you have a sense as to how much of a difference that would have made in terms of his personal and professional arc? It's an interesting question. He, more and more so as he grew older, and he just died a few years ago in 2010, lived to the age of 90, um, he he said that he was a, a Westerner born and bred, and the Mormon heritage in him, uh, being a, quote, son of the West, he he really was was proud of that. If he were to be born and raised in Seattle or say where I'm talking from today here in Washington, D.C. Um, it's a tough question, actually. Um, I think, but I do think um, part of his success was from his rural 
background in the Southwest. So obviously not going to go through uh, uh, all the decades of his life. So I want to start getting into his, his tenure as Interior Secretary as sort of a prelude to that. Can you talk a little bit about how he became friends with Robert Frost? Sure. Um, there's And there's a very good book out there about this, about Stuart Udall and the arts. Um, he was uh, foremost an environmentalist and conservationist, but he also had a big interest in in the arts, in performing arts, arts in cultural arts. He actually wrote uh, poetry a little bit himself, and he's got um, one poem that I really like. But uh, in the late 1950s, Robert Frost, uh, Robert Frost was in his twilight years at that point. He died just a couple years in the mid 60s. He was. Uh, working for sorts for the Library of Congress, um, kind of as a uh, a sage, if you will. And he complained that no one was seeking him out. No one was really um, conversing with him, politicians, writers, otherwise. And the Udalls, um, both Stuart and his wife, Lee, um, heard this and they kind of out of the blue invited him over for dinner to their suburban Virginia apartment or excuse me, house. And to their surprise, uh, Frost said yes. And kind of out of that, out of that home cooked meal and, and uh, informal chat grew this really interesting relationship with Udall in his late thirties, early forties, Frost in his mid eighties. And they became good friends in 1962. I believe that was the year Udall and Frost and an entourage of other folks, but they were the headliners. They actually led a delegation for Kennedy to uh, to Russia, and they actually met with Nikita Khrushchev. Yeah, and I I guess I hadn't realized that, uh, unless I'm getting this wrong, that Secretary Udall was actually instrumental in getting Robert Frost to read a poem at uh, John Kennedy's inauguration. Is that right? He was, and that really started the tradition. Well, with a couple of exceptions, every president at their inauguration has had a, um, a, a up and coming or famous poet um, read, and uh, it started with with Udall. Kennedy certainly did uh, a lot of good things on the conservation and arts front. Udall, I really don't think he gets enough credit. It was a lot of other people involved, but I really don't think Stuart Udall gets enough credit in the administration. So let's get into that. He was Secretary of the Interior for uh, about eight years, which was one of the longest tenures. Could you just give a brief sketch of what you feel his most notable and lasting achievements were as Secretary? Sure. Um, my background's primarily with the National Park Service, so I have a special interest in um, the national park units he established. During his eight years, he helped establish well over um, 50 new park units, which is more than any other Interior Secretary in history. Similarly, with the National Wildlife Refuge System, he created um, dozens of new wildlife refugees. Again, he was not operating in a vacuum, but he was a... With, in addition to some other people, he was kind of the, the lead on a lot of these fronts. The Land and Water Conservation Fund, that was considered by one historian a, a puppet project of Udall's. This has arguably been one of the most important pieces of conservation and outdoor recreation pieces of legislation in history. There's really not a large city in the nation that doesn't have a playground or recreation center or open space that hasn't been paid for by this 
LWCF or Land and Water Conservation Fund, a lot of parks, a lot of national parks and forest service tracks were purchased in the 1960s, continuing through to today um, using this fund. It it accrues revenue from um, taxes on offshore oil development, as well as um, public lands, motorboat fuel, and a couple of other factors. But the Land and Water Conservation Fund has been significant. Um, national Park System Expansion, Wildlife Refuge Expansion, and Land and Water Conservation Fund, those are, um, those are really just three examples of, of, of quite a few. And when you spoke about the fund that was responsible or still responsible for the sort of playgrounds and green space, it put me in mind of a quote you had, I think sort of towards the end of the book, where Secretary Udall was speaking about the need for, this will be a paraphrase, excuse me, environmentalism and conservation needing to enter Main Street. And it sort of seemed that, you know, getting into sort of the more sort of gritty sort of playgrounds was sort of part of that. Uh, how successful do you think he felt he was in terms of getting it to be uh, entering Main Street? It was him and a lot of other people. I think traditional conservation and environmentalism, a lot of people, perhaps even I think myself included, tend to romanticize and think about the large uh, parks and Western landscapes. Um, but he really did a lot um, in in urban America. He lobbied for the Youth Conservation Corps. Um, and right here in Washington, D.C., actually, he partnered um, with Lady Bird Johnson and uh, actually beautified several areas of the city through um, philanthropic partners um, in his in his group. They helped plant thousands of, of trees around the district. And you're mentioning Washington. This was, you know, probably not the most significant thing in the book at all, but I found it uh, sort of interesting. He played a role in, uh, I don't know if helping is the right word or coercing or, or nudging the Washington Redskins to become an integrated football team. Could you talk about that? Yes. And my uh, uh, my colleague, Thomas Smith, has actually written, um, he actually released a book on Udall uh recently as well and specifically a book on on this but he um the washington redskins were ironically today considering dc's primarily african-american and and especially the redskins team he got the redskins um integrated he essentially the gist of it is that the stadium, uh, which is now RFK Stadium, and actually, unfortunately, it's slated for probably demolition, but but it is on federal or National Park Service land. So working through the concessioners of the stadium, uh, he required George Marshall and the Redskins to uh, integrate, to bring in at least one African-American player on the team or... Um, they would be forced they would not be allowed to to play in in this national park service land administered stadium that's fascinating um one of the things that i was also surprised by and it betrays my ignorance is i i hadn't really had in mind that it wasn't until the 1970s that the department of energy was created and i think um in the book you talk about to a certain extent uh, secretary udall while he was Secretary of the Interior, was in a way de facto Secretary of Energy. Uh, how did, and obviously it's overly simplistic to 
think and talk in these terms, but how do they balance sort of the nation's energy needs and uh, conservationism? He was pro-conservation. Well, he was pro-conservation, but he believed you could do both. It wasn't really until, well, to be honest, right when he left government that um, the oil issues, the oil embargoes came about and he became a staunch um, energy conservationist and um, renewable energy advocate. Um, But he really balanced the two. The uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, one of the first things he did after he became president after Kennedy's assassination was uh, being from Texas, an oil rich state. He distanced himself from oil, um, perhaps rightfully so, with all the controversy that 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 can ensue. And he made Udall his his point person on on oil. So it was very uh, it was hard. It was difficult. There's obviously um, then and today there's some very aggressive oil industry lobbyists, to say the least. A lot of people have said that the secretary of the interior position is a balancing act. And um, even Udall said to paraphrase once he said, um, I always end up in the middle with both sides shooting at me. If he does, if he creates a park, some user extraction industries and advocates are mad at him. If he opens up a park to development, then conservationists are mad at him. It's, it's, some it was it's sometimes a, a very thankless position, so it was really a balance as best he could. And I'm gonna, I guess, what one shouldn't do for a historian, but I can't resist asking you to sort of speculate again if his brother uh, Mo Udall had actually succeeded in his attempt to gain the White House in 1976. Any sense as to whether uh, Stuart Udall might have played a role in the administration? Um, I'm not sure. I would, it would be hard to see him not playing a role. I mean, even if he was just a sideline brother, that's pretty influential. But um, Morris did lose uh, pretty badly. Uh, Morris is actually, a, I find, a fascinating figure. And he, uh, he made a lot of accomplishments in his 30 years as a congressman from Arizona. And a lot of that was because of his um, use of humor, his, his comedies in order to bring people, uh, Republicans and Democrats together. But yeah, it's an interesting question. And there's a a sense in which, um, and I think some of it came from the quote that you uh, uh, opened our conversation with that Stuart Udall was a bit of a prophet about the, uh, about climate change. Could you talk a little bit about that? He was, uh, Johnson and Udall actually spoke about global warming and climate change. They didn't speak of it in those exact terms, but there were some reports that came out in the 1960s about this, and he kind of uh, red flagged it in his second book, uh, 1968 Agenda for Tomorrow, um, which was written and published in 1967. After his secretary years, especially in the 80s, Udall became friends with, of all people, Robert Redford and actually um, helped spearhead conferences on how to tackle and mitigate climate change, bringing um, Republicans and Democrats, energy 
lobbyists and energy employees and conservationists kind of bringing all sides together to find solutions. But early on, even in the late sixties, he was, um, flagging, if you will, uh, climate change. And I guess one of the things I found sort of most surprising and sort of heartening is sort of towards the end when you talk about uh, his son's campaign to have the Department of Interior building named after Secretary Udall, uh, the support in both houses of Congress for, for that change was pretty close to unanimous. And this was happening in 2010 or so when we were certainly not at a bipartisan or nonpartisan time in, in the nation's history. And that certainly speaks to uh, what his reputation was on both sides of the aisle. It does. I, uh, living in D.C. for the past several years, um, I joke that there's a lot of federal buildings in town that are very ironically named with some, uh, you know, some some anti anti-African-American rights legislators and so on. But I think they did do it right with the Stuart Lee Udall Department of the Interior Building. Uh, with that naming, I think they did do it uh, do it justice. And he also in his, uh, I don't know if you'd say it's retirement, but after his service in the cabinet, also wrote a book about the Old West that was trying to revise sort of some popular notions or misconceptions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And that's most of the writing that's come out on Udall talks about uh, his secretary years. Um, he did quite a bit. He was only, he wasn't even 50 years old. He was 49 years old when the Nixon administration came in and he was out of politics, so to speak. Uh, that's 40 years of his life left. And he did, he did quite a lot and, and quite a lot of good things in that time. Um, the forgotten founders rethinking the history of the old West. I'm looking at this copy right here. Um, it was his last book actually just published, um, in 2002. And basically, uh, the premise of it is that, uh, the, the popular images of the old West, or should I say wild West with, shootouts at the OK Corral. Um, there was his premise is that there was some of that, but much more important and much more common in the history of the U.S. West was the peaceful work and living of, well, American Indians. And then uh, after that, he does spend a lot of time in the book talking about um, his Mormon ancestors. And I think it gave him, in some senses, it brought him full circle back to his Mormon upbringing. And he certainly, uh, through this research on this book, he gained a lot of appreciation for his, his, his Mormon pioneers. So it was kind of demystifying some of the, some of the, uh, themes or popular themes of, of the history of the U S West and that, that violence. As you did your research, is there one thing that stood out for you as surprising the most as you learned more about his life and work? He was not perfect, and I do um, write. I have a chapter on the controversies of the Interior Secretary. He also later in life wrote about population pressures. Yet he had, you know, he had six kids. That's that 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 has to be considered uh, hypocritical. But by all means, he did he did a lot of good. And um, I really must say, ten years ago when I picked up the quiet crisis and read it. And I've read it several times since, since, uh, it, this book really just resonates with me. Like, like no book before or after has, um, 
And like you said in the beginning, uh, with my beginning quote, it it resonate if you if you add oil or air and water pollution, it resonates today. All of his writings and work and the problems with with the air and water, um, all of it resonates today. I think his books, especially the quiet crisis and in all his life work really, um, still resonate today. And, and finally the title with distance in his eyes, could you explain where that comes from? Yes. Um, long before I had written even a, a, a single sentence for the public, for the book, um, I had this, this idea set in blood and stone in my mind, distance in his eyes. Uh, that's one of, that's one of the, the major, major takeaway messages with Udall's life and legacy distance in his eyes, meaning he, he looked to the horizon. He looked when he made decisions, he tried to do what was best, not for him, but for his kids and their kids and future America thinking long-term. So for instance, with the quiet crisis, he wrote about um, the issues of the time and how they could be resolved before things got worse. In a book he wrote in the 1970s about, uh, called The Energy Balloon, he wrote about the need for widespread use of solar energy and subways and mass transit systems before things got, things got much worse. So that's where this idea, distance in his eyes, comes from. Well, thank you for uh, an eye-opening book and for sharing some thoughts with us. Uh, the book, again, is uh, Scott Einberger's With Distance in His Eyes, The Environmental Life and Legacy of Stuart Udall, published by University of Nevada Press. Uh, thanks for listening, and join us again soon for the next PW LitCast.